Amen. I'm going to go ahead and get us started. Um, I know this morning I was making fun that I had, uh, we had just come back from vacation last night. We got, we got in probably around 7, 6, 30, 7 o'clock last night. Um, it was my too much fun sun and food tour. And we did. We had a great time. Uh, they made fun of me because I would wear this big floppy hat in the pool. I mean, I looked like I was covered from head to toe. You know, I don't get burned anymore. I, that's, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Look, uh, nobody wants to see it, and I'm going to keep it covered. That's, that's all that's going to happen, <laughs> you know? But my, my, whole, my whole thing about vacation is can I, can I go and do enough stuff to where when I come back, I enjoy this more than I did the vacation? And the answer is yes. Yes, I was so glad to get back here to you guys. In fact, I'm looking forward to work this week. I don't know how that makes any sense. But do you know that, that vacation is a great thing? We all need to take them. We need to take a step away because it makes us enjoy what we have so much better. And you know, this week I was kind of mentioning in the, the interlude that we had that, you know, I got to minister to a man uh, this week and he was, he was about three sheets to the wind and uh, he was from Puerto Rico and he was trying to buy everybody drinks. He bought us drinks. He bought everybody around through their drinks. We were looking for those non-alcoholic uh, like pina colada type deals. Uh, we love to get those. It's like 110% sugar. And so you get one of those and it's just like you get it and you're like, I got to pass out on a float for like a half hour. But we're up there, we're trying to get our drink and this guy comes through and he says, he says, oh, I'm paying for everybody, I'm paying for everybody. Well, then he gets on the phone and we notice he throws his phone. He's got two phones, he throws the other phone. And so after we got everything and I could tell my sister Lindsay was a little bit like, oh my gosh, this guy is crazy. Um, so I went over and talked to the guy and the guy was like, I'm holding a drink, you know, my non-alcoholic drink. And he's making fun of me because I have a slushy is what he called it, you know, and he's drinking Jaeger bombs is what he was saying. And he was like, I'm sitting there sipping on my drink, talking to him. And he's asking me, let me buy you another drink. And I was like, I've got one in my hand, but this guy was so just beside himself. He told me some stuff, and I was like, man, your life has got some issues. The man was multimillionaire. He got it in unscrupulous ways, and it was his birthday. And I was sitting there talking to him, and his family had come in, and they had brought people in that he did not want to be at his house. And he was very upset about all this. So we talked about the love of God. And, you know, he sat down and he told me his fears more than he told me about what he loved in life. You know, a man that has millions of dollars, it doesn't matter how he got it. He's got big houses and he's got all this other stuff. Do you know that he has more fear than he has fun? Do you know that the way he explained his life, most people would have said, if I could have just seen his bank ledger, oh, I want that guy's life. But do you know what? I listened to the guy's fears. And I tried to pump him full of love. You know, the guy told me at the very end of it, he said, you know, this conversation has been the most peaceful conversation that I have had in quite some time. This is the most peace I've had in quite some time. So the Lord really impressed upon my heart to do this teaching on no fear, no love, no love, no fear. Now, the people that are listening on, you know, on the podcast, you're not going to see. It's the, it's the thing you see on the bumper stickers, right? It's uh, K-N-O-W fear versus no love and K-N-O-W love versus no fear. That was just for our podcast people. But what I want you to understand is that when we don't have the love of God in our lives, 
then we have an abundance of fear. In fact, fear is everywhere. That is the currency of the world system is fear. How many people believe that? How many people actually believe that? Do we live in a good world? No, we don't live in a good world. We live in a world that's full of fear. You may be going, well, Dusty, I, I think the world's beautiful. You know, I see skies of, of blue. And, you know, and we, we go through this and we have all these people that talk about all this great stuff that we have in the world. But do you know that every time the world gets a hold of something, they always take it back to fear. Turn on the news. I mean, you want to know what the world wants? The, the most outlandish things is what sells. I mean, we, we put the most outlandish things on TV. People don't tune in to find out that there was a puppy parade. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to go and say, oh, there was three-year-olds that was out there petting puppies. Nobody is going to turn that on, on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or whatever. But you know what they are going to turn on? Hey, there was a school shooting. Do you know that we will watch more news when we hear something that makes us afraid? We will go out and find more articles on things that make us afraid. We're drawn to it. We, we like it. Our flesh loves fear. I mean, how many people seen a horror movie? Oh, everybody's got to put your hand up because... I mean, everybody's seen at least Jaws, okay? And it didn't, you didn't want to go and swim in the ocean for like a month, right? But see, this is the thing that I want you to understand is that fear is the way the world thinks. Love is the way God thinks. You know that every time that I've had opportunities in my life to, to be afraid... I, I usually take them up front and then I have to go find a way out of that fear. How many people's had runaway fear? I've had it. I've been there where it was like, my life is over. There's nothing that I can do. You know that the only thing that ever comforted me was when somebody come and gave me love. When somebody came in, put their arms around me and told me it's going to be okay. You know that love is the way of God's currency. It's the way God sees the whole universe that he's created. It's through the lens of love. And you know what? Will, the will that we have, not a person, but I'm saying the will that we have been given inside of ourselves, that it has the ability to choose Love or to choose fear. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take just a minute and we're going to talk about fear because most people probably think, well, when it comes to God and fear, then that's probably a bad thing. But I want you to know that there is good fear and there's bad fear. There's the positive and the negative of fear. I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a, I'm going to give you a little bit of that positive, that positive reinforcement behind fear. Okay. A couple weeks ago, hey, it's another one of those fear stories, right? Uh, a guy probably about my size was on one of those up and down thingies down in Orlando. It like drops you 100 feet and does all this stuff. And the thing was not designed for somebody my size. In fact, when I was telling most of the people below, it was like, hey, did you ride any rides at Universal? No, I'm not jamming myself into something that wasn't designed for me. But it threw this guy out. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's not what stops me from going and riding a ride. Like, there are rides. If I went, you know, we, we didn't go to Disney or anything, but the Runaway Mine Cars is one of my favorite rides at Disney because it's just a lap bar and it doesn't do any loop-de-loops or anything like that. And I love it. It's great. It was designed so that I could have fun. But do you know that when I see a seat and it says, here's the weight limit, if you can't get your shoulders in it, if you can't get your legs in it, don't do it. 
Do you know that that is a healthy measure of fear to go, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. How many people have pushed it across the line? Oh, I, I have a cousin that every single time, if he thought he couldn't do it, he was going to do it, right? I mean, there's plenty of people that sit there and go, oh, I'm, you know, my sister was talking to me. She skydived twice. And she was like, both times, she goes, I was afraid really badly. And I'm sitting there going, that's a healthy amount of fear for me to go, I, in a perfectly good plane, I'm not jumping out. Now, if a plane's going down and somebody hands me a parachute and says, you're either going to crash into the side of a mountain or you're going to jump out, I'll take the 50-50 on it, okay? I'll strap a, a, a parachute on me and I'll jump out of the plane. But I'm not going to pay somebody really good money, really good money, to go in a perfectly good airplane and let them push me out. And now I'm going to parachute down. Unless they've got one of those car parachute things that you see on TV, I'm not doing it, right? But see, fear has its place. We need to be afraid of certain things. Hey, if I'm, you know, and I don't get this. There's a trend in our society where people want to jump over the sun on the tallest summit of whatever. So they get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30, whatever it is, they go to the top, tip top of a, a mountain peak and they have somebody take a picture and they jump and the picture's supposed to make it look like they just jumped over the sun. Do you know that there has been at least 25 people who have fallen to their death because of it? They were on their honeymoons or, or on some vacation and they decided, hey, I'm going to jump over the sun. And it's like, well... You only have a pathway that's this far and it's 500 feet on this side and 100 feet on that side. Sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Do you know that that is a stupid idea? There's a lot cooler pictures that you could take than you jumping over the sun on a pathway that's three and a half feet wide and it's got 150 plus feet on each side that you could plummet to your death. Do you know that fear can give us an opportunity to go, maybe I shouldn't do that. See, that's, that, that's a healthy fear. Now, I'm going to tell you, fear also can be a positive thing. And we're going to see this here in just a second. Because I can actually need to have some measure of fear when I deal with y'all. Maybe like what? I mean, I have, I I have a filter on me because I don't want to run over y'all. The same thing for y'all. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you're not coming up to me and just blowing me up every single time you see me, and just telling me god awful things. See, what I want you to understand is that fear, when it comes to the reverential fear means that I have a good relationship back and forth. I don't tell my wife every single thing that I think. It's because I need to be able to filter out some of those things. Do you know that every once in a while, it doesn't happen very often, she'll cook something that's not that great. <laughs> and I'll be sitting there going, I probably should keep my mouth shut about this. That's a reverential fear. I'm, I'm protecting my marriage and my relationship. Do you know that the same thing needs to happen with God? There we go. So fear is a catalyst for knowledge, and fear is a catalyst for us understanding how we deal with God. But we're not supposed to be afraid of God. We're supposed to have reverence for God. And here's a couple of scriptures I'm, I'm going to give to kind of illustrate this. So I've got Proverbs 9.10 and Proverbs 2.5. But Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the, of the holy is understanding. So essentially, 
This word fear here is the Hebrew word yarai. And it means reverence or dread. Now, can you pick which one you're supposed to have with God? Anybody? Anybody? Did somebody go to dread right off the bat? No, I hope not. You know, when it comes to fear of knowledge between me and you or between the two or three people you have around you and you're talking to them, you're supposed to reverence each other and you're supposed to protect each other. You're supposed to have a, an idealism about how do, I, how do I interact. You know, when I was younger, you know, I would go, you know, especially when I was a kid, you'd see some woman and she would have her belly sticking out and you'd walk up to her and you'd go, so how many more months until you have the baby? You know, after a while of people going, I'm not pregnant. And you feel like, okay, I'm about to get killed by all the other women that's around me. Eventually you start going, I'm going to maybe back off of how I interact with people. Maybe I don't need to ask them the, something that I think is an obvious question because it may not be so obvious. Do you know that reverencing each other means that we're going to protect each other. We're going to love each other in a way that gives us the ability to, to have a relationship. You know, I know people, and I'm not going to name any names, but I've had some, I've had some people that we went to church with a long time ago. They did not understand this concept. In fact, they like to have the kind of relationship that you, that you kidded with each other. But you didn't, I mean, the way they did it was like hurtful, right? But they like to find other people who like to have that kind of relationship. Now, their relationships didn't last very long. I mean, when you're going around and you're saying, boy, you're ugly today. I mean, that would be one of the things that they would say. And you would just have to laugh and ha ha, you know. And, and the way that you had to kid back with them is you'd have to go, but not as ugly as you. And then they would laugh and thought that was the greatest thing ever. But you know that you can't, there may be some relationships that you can have like that, but that's not a reverential relationship. That's a relationship where you're just having some camaraderie and you never get to the point of what it says here, where it says it's the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of, of the holy understanding. See, I can have that kind of relationship, but I'll never know about their family. I'll never know about their, about their job. I'll never know about who they are. I'll never know about anything because I did not have a reverential relationship with them, right? I mean, I hope this is making sense. Is this making sense? Give me a head nod because I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm going down the right path here. But see, if we have a reverential relationship with God, then now I think about, I need to talk to God today. I think about God as my father. I think about how I'm going to do things with God. Do you know that without having a reverential relationship with anyone, especially God, you're never going to know more than just the surface about them. You may hear things about them. I mean, you know, a lot of people may go, well, you know, Dusty, I don't know that much about you. Well, you know what? A lot of times people will back away from somebody my size because they look at me and they go, well, I don't want to be around that guy. Or I think he's intimidating. You know, one of the things I used to get all the time when I would do my 360s at work is people would say he's intimidating. I mentioned this the other day. I used to sit and do the power pose, not because I was, not because I was trying to be like, you see me guys. It was like my back's hurting. Ugh. Or I would sit back in a chair and because the chair only hits me in the middle of my back, I'm trying to lean back. Ugh. I've got no, I've got no course of, of holding myself up other than, I got to like stretch myself out. And people go, that's very intimidating. 
I'd be like, that's just me trying to stretch. But do you know that once people got to know who I was, they would go, yeah, sometimes you can do some intimidating stuff or whatever, which would just be, I'm, I'm just being. But once I got to know you, I realized you weren't this big bear, a monster. I was like, I don't know how I've come across as a monster. I mean, most people who know me know that I'm, I'm pretty much down the middle. Do you know that having a reverential relationship, not a dreadful relationship, allows people to connect together? You know, in Proverbs 2, 5, it says, Then shall thou know understanding the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Do you know that when we have an understanding of how do I reverence someone? See, this is, this is how we interact. This one is about how I interact with God, not just having a fear of God, but this right here is thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord. This is the how should I interact with you, Father? What do you want me to do? You know, back in the early 2000s, we used to have all these youth that came to Victor Christian Fellowship. And there was this whole thing about Jesus is my homeboy. Do you remember that? I used to hate Jesus was my homeboy. That was a, uh, that was a stupid thing. Because basically it was like, well, Jesus is just like me. He acts just like me. Well, if that's the case, then you never know anything about Jesus. You never learn anything about Jesus. And you'll never change of who you are to be like Jesus. All you'll do is go, yeah, I like Jesus. Oh, I think Jesus is cool. But do you know that if I never say, well, Jesus I got a problem in my life. Jesus, I have, I have things that are happening and I need help. Well, Jesus is my homeboy. I don't go and talk to my homeboys about all of my problems. Well, that was the way that, that they were coming, that all these people that use Jesus as my homeboy, that they just wanted Jesus to be cool with them and I'm cool with him. I don't want Jesus to be cool with me. I want Jesus to tell me when something's wrong. I want the Holy Spirit to deal with me so that I don't make mistakes. I want God himself to go, son, stop it. And I go, yes, sir. See, reverence means that I look and say, whatever God's word says about this situation, I reverence it above everybody else's word. If Charlie tells me something that's contrary, and I love Charlie, I reverence Charlie, but if Charlie says something that's opposite of what God's word says, who am I going to believe? God's word or Charlie? God's word. Charlie even told me, believe God's word, don't believe me. Do you know that this is the way that we get knowledge and wisdom is that we reference each other, but we reference God so that we have a, a decorum, if you will. We're able to talk to each other and understand each other. This word knowledge here, I love it. It really just means to learn a skill. You know, when you're trying to find knowledge about something, when I reference a teacher, if I don't think the teacher's worthwhile, I don't learn anything from them, right? I've had plenty of them. I went all the way through a master's degree in college. I had several teachers that I thought they were idiots, okay? And guess what? I didn't learn very much in their class. It was because of my understanding it was because of the way I decided that I wasn't going to take something from them. But do you realize that every single time we learn a skill, it's a little bit like when I was a kid, and I was saying this last, last week, is that, you know, I remember Dad, when he worked, uh, we were kind of talking a little bit this weekend, he was giving me the rundown of, 
of his job situation back years and years ago. But I remember as a kid, we lived in this trailer off of where 459 is on Morgan Road. And um, so he worked nights and mom went to work during the day. And I remember I was probably no more than like two, three years old. But I remember a little glimpse of, of things that happened back then. And my dad had this, his hair would just, in the mornings, it just like, it, it, now he doesn't have very much now, but it would just be like, it'd be off the top of his head. And this is like in the, the late 70s. And he's, he's out there and he was like, okay, I'm going to make us breakfast. And I remember I loved this little, there was a little thing that went on the stove that you could, it was like a little grate that you could put like a coffee, you know, like a coffee pot on it. But it was made of this little wire. And I would walk up and I would try to grab that thing off because I like to play with it. And I remember dad going, don't touch, the, don't touch the little thing. As he's telling me this week, I said, I remember that. I remember that. I reached up and the stove was hot. I grabbed that little thing and I went, ah. And dad goes, hey, I told you not to touch the thing. Do you know that I didn't believe him. I mean, a man with that much hair just going all over the top of his head, why would you believe him at all? It's hard to believe he had that much hair. But do you know that the thing is, is that my dad had even told me, hey, it's hot. And if I'd listened to him, I wouldn't have gotten burned. Do you know that sometimes we learn, sometimes we learn things one of two ways we learn it through wisdom and knowledge or we learn it because we got burned do you know that every single time in my life that I've learned a skill it's because I've referenced and said that's something I want to learn you know I had ADD and dyslexia you didn't learn things unless you really knuckled down I mean you had to really knuckle down in order to learn something and I remember I was trying to play guitar and I had this buddy of mine and he would teach me and I'd play the same chord over and over and over and over again. Even though my mind was going, squirrel, oh, I want to go play video games. Oh, I want to go talk with this person. Oh, I want to do this. Do you know that I, I referenced having play an instrument more than I did going to play video games? So even though it was hard, I learned. I learned a skill, and I learned from this guy because I really liked him, and I really wanted to know what he knew. You know that every single time in my life I've learned a new skill. That's the only way it's ever came. But I'm going to tell you what. We also learn things that keep us down, that keep us, that keep us imprisoned through fear as well. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a couple of scriptures here. Proverbs 29, 25, it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but, who, but whosoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. This I'm going to break this down a little bit. I'm, I'm taking a positive turn on this. Okay? Let me tell you why. Because the more and more I've read this and the way that this comes across to me after reading Proverbs 29, that essentially this is about people that I want to have their blessing. I want to have their influence. I want to have their, their inroad with. And see, the fear of man brings a snare. It means to capture or to imprison. But it says, put, put your trust in the Lord and you shall be safe. See, what I want you to understand is that this is something, someone that I'm putting trust in that I don't have, I don't have a real reason to do so. You know, I, I remember this as a kid because this got me in trouble a lot. When I was a kid, I always, always, always wanted to hang out with the cool people. And I wasn't the cool people. So I would go in the middle of the cool people and they would be like, get the heck out of here. Do you know that that I only thought they were cool. And it's because I was looking at them and, and they, they all had their own group of people and they had their clique and they were really 
they were, I thought in my mind, oh, I want to be like them because they have a lot more than I do. Most of them were rich. Most of them had more than I ever thought about. And I thought, man, I want to be a part of them. You know that because I did that, a lot of times I got myself in trouble because they would, they would say, hey, let's, okay, you want to hang out with us? Let's go do something stupid. And it would become a snare. Do you know that if I put my trust in men's words, if I put my trust in something that is beyond God's presence, beyond his word, beyond his place that he has me for, then you know what ends up happening? I get captured. And I find myself holding the bag. You know what? You're around all the pretty people and you're like, hey, this is awesome. This is great. I get to hang out with them. Hey, won't you go over there and do X, Y, Z thing? I still remember there was this there was this guy and it was so, mom and dad probably don't even know about this. So I'm telling you all some stuff today. You remember the Zippy Mart that was down the road? Well, there was this really awesome person that worked at the Zippy Mart. We had this person that we were hanging out with, me and my friend Shane. And we were, this person that we were hanging out with, it was this guy and this girl, and they were, in our eyes, they were the most awesome people we'd ever met. I mean, they did stuff we never even thought about. They acted in ways that we never thought about. And they were like, hey, won't you go in there and steal some candy and some Cokes and some other things? So we was like, okay, we're going to do this, and it's going to be really, we're, we're going to be really smooth about this. So it's like June, and I go in there in this big jacket, okay? <laughs> so we go in there, and I've got this big jacket on, and this lady that's working behind the zippy, she knew us. We had been in there a ton. I bought Cokes in there. But these people were like, no, you need to go steal it. You don't go buy it. We're gonna, you're going to steal it. It's a whole lot better. So I went in there, and I'm, I'm in there, and I'm going to go grab, you know, Cokes, and I'm putting them in my, my thing, and Shane's doing the same thing. And we've, we've got it all up there, and she stops us, and she goes, boys, we know about all the stuff you got in your coats. Just go ahead and give us the stuff back, or I'm going to call the police. So I give her all the stuff back. Shane gives all the stuff back. We come back out. Well, do you know what is the craziest thing? Do you know that those people, because we didn't successfully steal it, they didn't want to hang out with us anymore? It was really weird, right? I mean, they wanted us to go steal this stuff, and we didn't do it. And then now, it's like, well, y'all aren't cool because you didn't get away with it. Do you know that in, in all of the things that I was entrapped and ensnared, now this person could have been, that worked at the Zippy Mart could have said, hey, I'm going to call the cops. We're going to make an example out of you. Thank God they didn't. But do you know that I learned some lessons that people were not for me? That if I went and did something for someone else, that didn't mean that they were for me. You know, every time I'm sitting here and going, I was not safe with those people. They were going to keep ratcheting it up. They were going to keep... We were going to do more and more and more stuff if I had gotten caught, if I had not gotten caught. I mean, I was too young to actually get away with anything, so I probably wouldn't have gotten very far, um, you know. But my point behind this is, is that if I reference men and I trust in them more than I trust in God, then guess what? I'm not going to be safe in him I'm going to be putting myself out there and having risk. In Psalms 118.6, it says, The Lord is on my side, and I will not fear, I will not dread what can, what can, what can man do unto me. I'm going to say it one more time. The Lord is on my side. I will not dread what man can do to, unto me. Do you know that as I've, as I've lived my life, this right here has become more and more prevalent in my life that every single time I see something that man is trying to throw at us, I turn on the TV, I turn on the internet, whatever it is, and I get some sort of headline, you know, that it emboldens me more and more and more to say, that's not what man can do to me. 
God is on my side. He is creating opportunities for me. You know, we get into real trouble when we start going, well, you know, I need to have a contingency plan for everything. How many times in life have you thought to yourself, I'm going to have a contingency plan for everything that I possibly can, right? You know, one of, one of the times in my life that somebody had a contingency plan that actually worked out was my cousin and I, during a, during a snowstorm, decided we were going to go play football with a bunch of guys. We had a, just filled his car full. And we went over to Bottenfield High School over in Adamsville, and we go up and over the top of this big hill, and it was an ice sheet all the way down. And it kind of curved all the way down towards the school. And I go down the, through there, in his car, I'm in the passenger seat, and he actually loses control. He's hydroplaning. Well, he's not doing a very good job because he pulls the emergency brake and it makes us start spinning. But we go down through there, and there's like a, an 8-inch like curb that runs all the way down through there. And we slammed into the side of it, and... Thank God I was on the passenger side because my side went up in the air and my weight probably helped bring it back down or we would have flipped that car. Both of the driver's side tires were blown. And I was screaming and cussing him and telling him how stupid he was. And he was like, ah, don't worry about it. And he pops his trunk and there was two tires in the back. And I'm thinking to myself, you planned this. You knew this was going to happen. And he goes, ah, I just decided to be prepared. Well, do you know that in life, you can't prepare for everything? But do you know that, that I can allow God to put me in situations? You know, there's been plenty of times in my life where God's told me not to do things and I didn't do them. And I'm pretty sure that it was for a purpose. It was for a reason that I'm not supposed to. Maybe there was some bad thing on the other side of that. Maybe something happened that I shouldn't have been a part of. Do you know that in every situation in life, in fact, my daughter, she was going to go to the bathroom the other day while we were at the pool. And we found out there was a guy in the bathroom. And they were trying to call security to go get him out of the bathroom. And Kaylee said, hey, I'm not going to go over there. Well, you know what? I mean... You have to have common sense, but you also have to have God's sense on the inside of you. There's some times where God goes, don't do that. You need to listen to it. You need to go. I am not going to go against what God is telling me to do right now. But I want you to understand that fear or accepting the knowledge of man will negate God's word in your life. You know, if I go against God's word, it's not going to manifest in my life because I won't follow it. You know, faith is, I believe something, I see, I, I need to go in a direction. I don't know what that direction is going to take me, but I'm going to start walking that way. I'm going to, I'm going to do something about it. Well, if I have too much fear, I'm going to stand still and never, ever do the thing God called me to do. That's the problem with fear. But see, we have to have a knowledge that goes beyond fear. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn over to 1 John chapter 4, I'll have most of the scriptures here, but we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 for, for the next few minutes. But in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love, that's the word agape, one another, for love is of God. And everyone who, who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, there's a lot of stuff packed in here. I can get into lots of different things about this. And you may be thinking, well, not everybody loves. Well, that's true. There's, there's not a lot of people who love. But do you know that, that when you read these kind of scriptures, you have to pull them apart. Because verses 7 through 8 has to do with with us knowing God. I want you to understand this. I'm going to say this again. 
This is about us knowing God. This is not about us being saved. Let me, let me rewind. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. This is about knowing God. This is not about us accepting Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen out here? Because I'm going to tell you, I can accept Jesus Christ, but I can never. There's times where I'm like, I don't know who God is in this situation. It's taken me years to know God in certain situations. And it says here, it says, everyone who loves is born of God. Well, everybody has the ability to choose. Everybody has the ability to love. It means God came for the people that he put on this earth and he gave us the ability to do this. But guess what? Doesn't mean that you know God. In fact, in verse 9 here, it says, In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God had sent his only begotten son unto the world that we might live through him. Okay, so now we've separated this out. This is about knowing God in 7 through 8. But 9 starts to get into God's love for us. See, we have to understand that you can't have something that you hadn't been given. I can't even understand. Like, when I first got into doing computers, I, I still remember how stupid I was. I mean, I remember how thinking that doing things with computers was... I'm going to go become a computer engineer and I'm going to become a computer engineer and I'm going to be the best word Microsoft word specialist there ever been. You know that that's not even one tenth of 1% of what a computer can do. You know that when I started going through classes for what computers were, I was blown away. I was blown away that you could write little ones and zeros in, in strings and, and, and then turn it into hexadecimal and that that was data and that you could pull it all together and that that's what made all this stuff. Like, I mean, we're looking at right now a computer put all this stuff together. You know that that, that when I got down to the, the actual nitty gritty of what computers was, it was so much more vast than I'd ever known or ever seen. Do you know that, that this is exactly the same thing? We think we know who God is and we think we know his love and we think we know all this, but when you first get saved, when you first talk about God, when you first see God in any context, you don't know God. You don't. It takes you time to know God. Why would you think that that is? Well, I mean, I'll take, I see Myra back there. In order to know Myra, I've got to spend time with Myra, right? In order to know Matt, I got to spend time with Matt. In order to know Jeff, I got to spend time with Jeff. So I can't just have, oh, well, Jeff and I, we're cool. Well, Jeff may be going, I don't want to be around that dude. <laughs> I mean, that may be a, a possibility. And the only way that I know how to have a relationship is to have time. Do you know that with God, you've got to have time with him? And some people are still running from God, so they're not even spending the time that they need in order to know who God is. And it says here in verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. This means to appease. God sent Jesus to appease and atone for your sin. He wanted to take that off the table. See, that's what we have to understand is that sin was something that was happening since Adam. It didn't matter what you did. You were born into it. And so God said, you know what? To get rid of sin and to flip the script and to bring them into the family, I'm going to love them so much that I'm going to put my own son on a cross and I'm going to atone and appease any sin. Any sin. You know, part of that is not just 
to appease it with God, but that's to appease it with you. Do you know that most people walk around with so much guilt and shame and condemnation for the things that have happened in their life? You know, there's a person I know that I was talking to them and they got, uh, they were um, sexually abused, let's just say that, at a young age. And, and you know, we were talking about this and I ended up, I I was talking to them and it just, it just came out of me and I said, you know that there's, there's no more shame. You know that there's no more condemnation in that. And they were shocked. Now, they didn't do anything wrong. But sin leaves a, a mark. See, sin leaves a mark. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter who did the sin. Sin affects Everything around you. And see, God came and appeased and atoned for sin. It meant that no matter if I did something or if somebody else did something, that there is no more shame, there is no more condemnation. Because God came and He appeased it. That means the more love that I get into, the more love that I allow into my life, the more the fear, shame, condemnation, it goes in my life. Because God just didn't want to like say, okay, me and you are cool. God wanted to give you abundant life. And if he gave you abundant life, he had to take away all the things that were leaving a blot on your life that had nothing to do with the relationship between you and him. It had to do with how you're going to live the rest of your life Are you going to be ashamed? Are you going to be thinking, am I going to see that person? You know, that was one of the things that that they told me about a fear that they had was that they were going to see this person again. So what if they saw him again? If love is so strong in you, then it's not going to matter because you're no longer, they're no longer renting space in your head. And you know what? You need to stay away from bad people. But I'm going to tell you another thing. If something happened to you in your life or if something has caused a sin blot on your life, God wants to take the love of God. He wants to make you not remember it any longer. You know, you can get to the point. You know, there are things that happened to me in my life and people have told me about it. And I go, what? That really happened? And then I have to re-remember it in order to do that. Because you know what? God has come and taken it away because it could cause shame and condemnation. You know, this is so important because the love of God, Him coming and loving us first and to atoning for our sin and to wiping all that stuff away, it has Little to do with the relationship between us and him. He took care of that. He wants you to have better relationships out here. He wants you to live every single day of your life not worrying, being confused, being in shame. I think that's the reason why some of our young people have some of the problems that they do. It's because something happens to them in their life and that they go out into the world and the world says, well, now you've been forever changed. You are something different than what you were created to be. And see, God is bringing his love to say, no, I'm going to allow you to have love in your heart. I'm going to allow you to be a son and a daughter in my kingdom. And that you're not worried about all that stuff anymore. It doesn't take up rent in your head any longer. In fact, it says here in verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Do you know that, do you know that I can't, like, if I have shame and guilt and condemnation, yeah, I'll run from God, but I'll also run from other people. I will keep other people at bay away from me. See, those are the kind of things that we have to understand is that I can't live the best life if I'm always looking over my shoulder. Oh, is that person around? Oh, I heard they were going to be there. I can't go there. Do you know what? 
when you're living the best life that God has for you, you're not worried about other people. You're going to stand up and you're going to be the person that God has called you to be. It's not going to stop you from doing the things God has called you to do. It's going to embolden you to say, I'm going to continue to go on. This is my last slide here. Matt, I'm going to go ahead and get you to come on up, buddy. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 through 19 it says, Love has been per, uh, perfected among us in this way that we might have boldness in the day of judgment. This word judgment here means in the day of condemnation or crisis. So you're in the midst of a day where the world has come against you. You're in the worst crisis that you've ever been in. But you're going to still have boldness in that day. You're still going to be able to stand against the things that are coming at you. See, a lot of people want to take this and say, oh, well, this is at the day of judgment when God's going to judge all of our sins. No, because this is the reason why. It says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Well, wait a minute. If that was the day of judgment when he's going to judge all sins, then why did he just say that we're going to be like him in the world? You know why? It's because this is about our life here. This is about us understanding the boldness of God that we can have in any situation. If hell is coming against you, if anything is coming against you in any way, God says that love will protect you. It says in the day of our judgment, in the day of crisis, we will have boldness. You know what? If he is, then, and I am also, then I'm an, over, I'm an overcomer. How about you? Amen. In verse 18, it says, there is, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This word perfect means completeness or full of age. It means that when you have come to a full understanding of God's love for you, it casts out the fear. See, we have to understand something. We have to, we have to grow in this love. We have to have a relationship with him. We have to know what his love is telling us and how we're supposed to love others. Because it says here, it says that there is no fear in love, but this complete full age love casts out fear because fear involves torment. It involves pain. When we have pain, we run away from the pain point, right? I mean, if, if me and you got into a situation where you were upset at me, and I'm sitting there going, hey, I'm just going just gonna to stay away from them because there would be pain. See, that's what I want you to understand is that pain is being done away with because the fear is being done away with and the torment is being done away with. Then now I can walk in boldness. I can walk in the goodness and the mercy of God. Verse 19, it says, we love him because he first loved us. I'm closing right now. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, there are things that are in everybody's life, even my own, where I am constantly having to, I'm having to say, Lord, take this fear from me. Take this crisis from me. Take this judgment, this condemnation, this shame from me so that I can do what you've called me to do, so that I can live the life that you've called me to live. And I know that it's happening in everybody else's life because this world is creating an impenetrable communication barrier. Every time we turn around, something is telling us about we should be ashamed of ourselves for things that we never did that we, that we should be in fear because somebody is trying to kill our kids or, or there's something that's happening in our society that, that we need to fight against. And what it does is it creates contention and confusion 
and it creates barriers between people. And see, Satan is trying to separate us into different groups, into different ways of thinking, so that we no longer are together. Because once we're together, and we start having love amongst the brethren, then the church is going to explode. See, this is Satan's last ditch effort is to separate the church. If he can get the church to separate on gun control, abortion, on whatever it is, I can name off everything that, you, that you've seen on TV in the last three months, and it's all dividing people. You go into any church and you say, Hey, who's the gun control people? You're going to find people that can go over and stand in one area. And hey, who's the people that's okay with abortion? And you can have them go over to this other side. And you can go over here to the, hey, how many people believe in, uh, I mean, we can take everything from reparations to, you can go down the list. And all of it is to separate us into different groups to keep us from loving each other. Because this church and every other church in the world, if they could just allow love to explode, then it would be a revival that would just bring in so many lost people. But right now, the church looks just like the world. We're divided up into different groups. What's your favorite football team? We could get another one of those up there too. Hey, you're a Michigan fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you, we could go and find all these people. We can find Auburn people and Alabama people. And you know that I want people to not love each other based upon ideologies. But I want people to go beyond ideology and love each other because of who we are in Christ Jesus. So everybody bow your head. I'm going to pray over each. I'm going to pray over us, Father. Father, we come in Christ Jesus' name. I just pray in Jesus' name that you are opening up our eyes to the shame and condemnation and to the, and to the guilt, Father, that are, that's in our hearts. And that, Father, that you're helping us right now to be able to replace fear and guilt and condemnation with love. I thank you, Father, this unconditional love that you had for us that once we know that and once we have a knowledge of where we're supposed to go with it, that it's a skill that now we can use to drive out fear. That we can drive out fear and that it will replace this fear and that it will cause us to have life and to have life more abundantly. And I just pray, dear Heavenly Father, that as each and every one of us goes out into the world and that we're listening to people's fears, that we give love. That we listen, but we love. We talk, but we love. We tell them about the love of God. We tell them about the peace of God. That we show them, that we stand with them. And it doesn't matter their ideology, but it does matter about how much you love them. And that it just brings people closer and closer together so that the love of God can be spread and shed throughout our hearts, Father. Father, I just pray over each and every one of us that you're leading people across our paths to be able to love on. I pray in Jesus' name that we're just loving on each other, that you're bringing people across our paths so that we can expel the shame condemnation and guilt. Father, I just pray over each and every one of us that we just have a great summer. I pray, Father, that the heaviness of the world is gone and that we don't listen to the heaviness of the world, but we listen to the truth of the knowledge of your word and that we allow that to be the forefront of the things that we believe and that we stand on. Father, I just praise you for it. And Father, I know we're about to have this fellowship time. I pray over this food and and fellowship, Father. I pray over the food that we're about to receive. May it nourish our bodies. I ask you to sanctify it, and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
Go forth with everybody this week. Help them to, to be ministers unto God of the things that you're having for other people that fear is being dispelled, displaced. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.